You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Welcome, McKinley and Erica. It's Kyle being up here just... Uh, Remind you that you have to keep doing it over and over. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to try to make some joke, but it, it's just no, no good. Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. And if it's your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. Uh, if you are here for the 1,000th time, welcome home. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord. To be disappointed in yourself is to have believed in yourself. So says Miles Stanford uh, in a little book called Principles of Spiritual Growth that had a huge impact on me as I grew up in a fairly conservative, fundamentalist kind of a setting intended toward legalism. Actually, legalism is the default position for most of us, regardless of what we look like, whether we're conservative, liberal, what have you, uh, or very loose, progressive, um, stayed in our beliefs. We all tend toward legalism, but this was a kind of a legalism that is often associated with conservative churches. Uh, in Miles Stanford's little book, Principles of Spiritual Growth, which had been called the Green Letters before that, made a big impact in my life. And perhaps this phrase is encouraging word to you after last week's message about humility and how sometimes the Lord graciously gives His children opportunities to be humble in circumstances that they would have never chosen to help their spiritual growth along. Humility can be especially difficult when our state is due, our state of difficulty, frustration is due to a personal mistake or a sin that we have committed. Once again, to be disappointed in yourself is to have believed in yourself. Not that we shouldn't be repentant, not that we should not confess sins, we should. Today's message comes from two short Psalms of Ascents. Uh, there are 15 psalms in the Songs of Ascents, as they are most often called, grouped together as Psalms 120 through 134. The truth of Psalm 127 found its way into the title of today's message. I'm probably not going to preach from these, this group of psalms again, uh, so... It, they're all tied together in, in the title, hopefully. This group of psalms was sung, possibly one after the other, as pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem for one of the three feasts, Passover in spring, Pentecost in summer, and Tabernacles in the fall. One of the reasons they're called Songs of Ascents is... Uh, that whenever you go to Jerusalem, as I know several of you have been to Jerusalem, you always have to ascend. Jerusalem sits on a plateau and you have to ascend up to Jerusalem. 
Now, when somebody says, I'm going to go up to Florida, that just messes with my mind. I'm not, no, you're going down to Florida. You know, you've got a map. But if you ever went to Jerusalem, you went up. It did not matter from which direction you travel. You always go up to Jerusalem. Some, uh, since some of the Psalms seem to have been written in captivity years after David wrote, and since some were written by David, it, it's not as though this group was organized officially by David or Solomon. The entire book of Psalms, in fact, was edited and put in the form that we find it now somewhere, say, in Ezra's time. And in fact, it could have been Ezra himself who edited the, the book of Psalms and put them all together in the ways that, they, that, that we find them today. That would have been somewhere in the mid-400s B.C., anywhere from 450 to 432, somewhere along in there. So, even though Ezra put these psalms together in the 400s B.C., it doesn't mean that others had not seen that already. Just because the New Testament was not codified as being the 27 books that we have now until the 4th century doesn't mean these books had strong support all the way from the time of the apostles right on through, but it's just finally somebody put them as they are now. That's kind of what happened likely with the Psalms. So um, once again, people recognize their value uh, in preparation for worshiping the Lord as they ascended the hills on the way to Zion or to Jerusalem. Now, think about what this tells us. The songs of ascents remind us that spiritual growth is not instantaneous. And that's a hard sell in our day. Anything of any value, anything worth pursuing at all needs to happen immediately or pretty quickly. Or we just get frustrated and say, well, I'm not, I'm not sticking with that. And especially in the Christian life, when you struggle and you fail and you sin at times and you, you, you just can't seem to get traction, you may be tempted to think, I, look, it's just not the way life's supposed to work. I'm going to move on. In addition to reminding us that conformity to Christ, which is God's work more than it is ours. We have a part in it, but it's his work. He's the one doing it. In addition to reminding us that conformity to Christ takes time, the songs of ascents also emphasize the importance of commitment and routine. Every year, the pilgrims came. Commitment and, and routine. As my friend Mike Calhoun says, decisions do not change your life. They only change your direction. Discipline changes your life. I can decide that I'm going to be working out. Day in and day out, I can decide that. In fact, for quite some time, I've been on the tomorrow diet. I think some of you have been on that one as well. Uh, and, and, and we found it quite accessible, quite doable. Uh, but until I get up and go to the gym and, or whatever it is I'm doing to work out, it's not happening. Psalms 131 and 133 make up our text today. Unless you think two psalms is just too much, 
Uh, the two together comprise six verses total, three in each psalm. Uh, it's likely that you'll be familiar with the content, although you may not have been able to locate it. If someone said, where is that found? You'd say, oh, I think that's in the Psalms. It's Psalm, Psalms 131 and 133. So let's get to the text. And if you would, please stand as we read through these two short and yet powerful songs of a sense. Psalm 131. O Lord... My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing Life forevermore. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. Psalm 131 may be the perfect psalm in our study to follow Psalm 25. Same author. In fact, David wrote both of these psalms that we're looking at today. Uh, but David was in a different place in his life than he was in Psalm 25. He was in a much more settled state in his heart. In Psalm 25, we almost get the sense of panic. It's just David's right on the verge of panic. But in Psalm 131, he projects a posture of deep rest, repose, trust. I I've spent a good bit of time in Psalm 25 this past week, not reading it, but living it. And I was so afraid of that. You know, a lot of times when I'm going to preach a text, what I'm going to be preaching about, either I face it the week before or the week after in a big way. Uh, and so I've been living it this week. Our, our granddaughter may have post-COVID issues. While one of my oldest and closest friends has had a rough go, and I mean a really rough go with COVID. Some of you, I've thought about some of you. At this place where he has been this week. You were in that place months ago. Uh, neither issue is fully resolved. And I want them resolved yesterday. Thank you very much. In addition, I've had one of those moments where I've been forced to be humble. When I wanted to be disappointed with myself. Try all you want. You're not getting it out of me. You're not going to know. It's not some horrible sin. It's just a mistake. I misspoke. I should have said something differently than I did. It's just one of those moments. And you want to be disappointed with yourself. And so Psalm 25 has resonated with me. And I'm just hoping this week, Psalms 131 and 133 are going to be the prevailing focus of my heart and my life. So let's spend a few minutes in these Psalms, then bring the truths 
into our own day. Charles Spurgeon said that Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. If you read that psalm slowly, you'll you'll get it. Yep, I, I get that. David paints a familiar picture of a young child who has been weaned from his mother's breast and has graduated to food that does not come from his mother's body. This child has learned to trust that his mother is going to provide the food that he needs. Now, the weaning process is like a war for the child. But we know it's for the child's good. And sometimes you go through difficulties and trials in life and the Lord just comforts you and you sit like a wean child. We don't know the circumstances in which David wrote Psalm 131, but two prominent suggestions are that he wrote it when he was on the run from Saul, and also the time when his wife, Michal, mocked him for celebrating so vigorously as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem. Verses 1 and 2 seem... A bit strange coming from David. I want to mention one understanding of the Psalms that I'm going to develop much more uh, down the road. Especially when we get to the imprecatory Psalms. You know what the imprecatory Psalms are? They're ones where you're praying for destruction of your enemy. One of the ways that people have looked at this that seems very helpful to me. Is that they believe Jesus was the primary speaker In the Psalms. It is his voice that we hear. Lamenting. Praising. Trusting. Teaching. Instructing. It is in this sense that Christopher Ashe can say that the Psalms are Christian scriptures. Old Testament. New Testament. We think of New Testament as Christian scriptures. But... Think of Jesus praying the Psalms, speaking the Psalms. Even so, it is David who is writing Psalm 131. And he begins by saying that he is neither prideful nor presumptuous. Now, we know that he was going to fail in a big way later in life. But he always found his way back to the place of humility. And that's the reason... One of the primary reasons he's called a man after God's own heart. Although David was king, he understood his power had been granted by God. He saw the devastating effects of pride and ambition on Saul. And he knew that he had been protected, sustained, and encouraged by the Lord. And so he assumed a a posture of full trust in the Lord. It's almost like David at times in his life spoke as Peter spoke. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. I can't, I couldn't go anywhere if I wanted to. It's not that David did not have, double negative, responsibility to be a visionary as God's anointed leader. But he recognized that some matters and circumstances were beyond his ability to understand or to fix. 
So it's better to trust the Lord just like a little child does. A weaned child, in fact. Psalm 133 now. In Psalm 131, David is found repeatedly lifting his heart to God and acknowledging that God is king and encouraging Israel to do the same thing. Lift your heart to God. In Psalm 133, the motion is downward. Everything goes down. David acknowledges that the blessings of this life flow down to us from God. The blessing to which David points with enthusiasm is belonging to God's covenant family and enjoying the unity that is only ours in Yahweh. In Psalm 131, David is looking up to God. In Psalm 133, God is descending, descending, descending to give his blessings. Aaron, the first high priest for Israel, was a mediator between God and man. And by the way, in Jesus, there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But in some senses, we are mediators between God and the world. For those who don't know God, we're telling his truth. We're lifting up our prayers on their behalf for them that they will know God. The oil with which Aaron was anointed was a mixture that yielded an an extremely sweet fragrance. And one of the ingredients was myrrh for the high priest. The dew on Mount Hermon in the north of Israel was heavy, although its benefit to arid Jerusalem may have been more symbolic than literal. When you go to Israel, as some of you have, you see Mount Hermon in the north. And the first time I went, I thought, I'm going to ski on that mountain because it's good skiing in uh, Mount Hermon. It's pretty high, but there was no time for that, believe me. Um, but the dew there is heavy. Now, it's, it's value to... Zion, the mountains of Zion may have been more symbolic than literal. Either way, though, total trust in the goodness of God was in play. Because without moisture, nothing grows. And when nothing grows, there is no food to eat. You ever think about our relationship with food? And I'm not talking about... The, the sort of relationship that I've been thinking about lately. I have a pretty healthy relationship with food, in fact. Um, our dependence on God for food in earlier days helped us with humility. But food that we never see before we go to the grocery store and You know, there are 50 options there. But the one that you want is out. And you're like, ah! That does more to promote pride than humility, doesn't it? Our abundance, our access, our easy access to everything. When do we get to the place where we're like a weaned child? When the Lord has removed all of the resources that keep us from Him and reminds us that He's all we need.
There is so much more in both Psalms. Please keep your Bibles open because we're going to continue to learn as we begin to apply these two songs of ascents. Beginning with, humility is difficult, pride is devastating. Pursue humility. It's hard to do this, it's hard to diet, it's hard to work out, it's hard to not to. You choose your heart, you know? Life is difficult. It's difficult to be disciplined. It's, a lot of bad things happen. If you're not disciplined, you got to choose one way or the other. Humility is difficult, but pride is devastating. Pursue humility. Are, are you generally humble or do you struggle with pride? Okay, that's a trick question. <laughs> because if you claim to be humble, then you aren't, of course. But you know what I mean. Pride comes naturally, but humility must be practiced. Wait a minute, did I just... Humility must be practiced. Not the appearance of humility, but humility itself. You can look very humble and not be very humble at all. Something happens publicly. Your mom, dad, husband, wife, child, cool as a cucumber. But you know what's going on inside. And you're going to hear about it soon enough. In Psalm 131, David is the weaned child calm before his mother. By the way, that's one of the few places in the Old Testament where God is pictured as a mother, usually presented as a father, but here as a mother. And as David sees himself in the Lord's presence, and he, he situates himself in the Lord's presence, looking up to the Lord, he sees his smallness and God's greatness. That's a good place for us to start. It might help us in our pursuit of contentment, which is the second point. Contentment increases with trust in the Lord. Ambition increases when self is the focus. Pursue contentment. The weaned child in his mother's arms or curled up beside his mother is the very picture of contentment. Now, Michael, my son Michael, preached this sermon from Psalm 131 a, a, a few years ago. And the only thing I'm going to tell you from his sermon, because it's the only thing I'm, I'm taking from his sermon, we do tend to support one another like that, uh, talk to one another. But he was talking about when you see those little babies, oh, they're so cute. But you know that that's a time bomb ready to explode, you know. I mean, when you see the stretching begin, and when you, you've got about two grunts to get that child to a source of food before. But now... We have this perfect picture of contentment. This child knows that she will be fed. Her mother cares for her and has proven herself to be trustworthy and the one who will meet all her needs. We know that such an idyllic pose only lasts for a moment, even though they're weaned. In just a few moments, the child's up and running around this Exploring and discovering as it should be. 
This picture, though, that is presented to us is the contented child, one who is more concerned with presence than performance. As we sit with the Lord and listen to Him, our faith grows. When you're scared, what is the first thing you want to do? Pray, God, oh God, help me. And that's a, that's a proper impulse. And while we should pray for victory over sin and for courage and for direction, peace comes as we spend time listening to him and his word and our prayers are much better focused. Ambition can be the enemy of contentment. That, that's difficult for 21st century believers to understand. It's not that David had no drive to build Jerusalem or expand God's kingdom or do great things for God. But he knew that God's will would be done no matter what. So his trust was in the Lord. Ambition is not only the enemy of contentment. It's a tricky concept, especially now. Does God call us to excellence in our worship of him and in our daily lives? Yes, he does. Does he admonish the lazy and slovenly in his word? Yes, he does. To the point that 2 Thessalonians elevates laziness to the same level as all the other things that bring church discipline. Yes, God admonishes us in that way. Does he speak out against ambition that pursues goals at others' expense? Yes, he does. I'm not saying it's wrong to work hard for a promotion or a spot on the team or to do your best in all areas of your life. You should do your best. The scripture is full of that admonition. But ambition that drives you to put your own interest above God's glory is sinful. But that's no great insight. How can we tell when ambition is sinful? I've, I've probably spent more time trying to work this out in my mind to be able to communicate as, as I have in any, anything in a long time. Maybe ambition has moved from commendable to sinful when our disappointment with failure to attain and achieve is so great that either we feel that we failed ourselves, we have failed God, or he has failed us. When we've given our best effort. And it just doesn't turn out like we want to. Oh, I've failed myself. I've failed my family. I've failed God. Or worse, he's failed me. Where was he? I did my best. Why didn't he do his part? Another way to determine when we've crossed the line. Is the way that we think about others. Do we look down on them? To do your best, yeah, that's a big deal. To, to be committed to being the best at everything. Well, David said, David was the king. He was anointed by God. Even if he wasn't king at this point, even if Saul was chasing him, trying to kill him. David had been anointed by God, but he didn't look down on others. That's <laughs> what he meant when he said, my eyes are not raised too high. He didn't look down on the less fortunate or the less gifted than he. Nor was he upset when others didn't think that he was the greatest of all time. That's one of the things that made David so great. He was humble. He knew his blessings came from above, which is what led him 
to write Psalm 133, and which leads us to our third point. Blessings flow from a theology of the cross. Estrangement from God results from a theology of glory. Pursue Jesus. Now, if you're new, those are new terms to you. I'll explain them as we go. Obviously, this point can only be made after the cross. It's not that David was looking forward to the cross. Nobody anticipated the cross in the Old Testament, even though they wrote about it. David wrote about it in Psalm 22. I think that was David that wrote that, right, David? We don't know. We don't know for sure. Okay, Psalm 22. But when Jesus spoke those words on the cross... Um, they were looking forward to the time when Jesus would be on the cross, but nobody was looking to the cross except for God. God was looking for the cross, and that's why in Romans 3 it says that he overlooked the sins of the past. Not that he just said, oh, don't worry about that, but he, he knew the cross was coming. Even before the cross, David knew that no one, is good enough to impress God. He understood the purpose of the law to, to show us that we, we can't fulfill it. More than a hint of David's theology can be discerned in Psalm 133. Aaron stands before God offering a blood sacrifice to temporarily satisfy the debt of a sinful people to a holy God. The people were sinful. God is holy. How are we, how are we going to stand in his presence? Well, there was a sin... Offering once a year. There were offerings all through the year. Sacrifices. But especially once a year. There was this uh, offering. Atonement offering. That took care of the sins for one year. But it had to keep coming back year after year. And Aaron's offering was imperfect. Because not only was he offering sacrifice for the people. He was offering that blood for his own sins as well. He needed forgiveness. Aaron represented the people God had chosen to be his own. The oil flowed from down his head, off his beard, onto the collar of his robe, down his robe. And the dew flows onto Mount Hermon and down to Jerusalem, the place where eternal life is announced. If you're seeking to be good enough, to earn God's blessings, then I must tell you that the scripture teaches you will never fulfill that quest. None of us can be good enough. The good news is that God pours his blessings down to us. To believe that we have to work our way to God is a theology of glory. Because in the end, if we're good enough, who receives the glory? We do. To understand that we're sinful and if God does not do something about our sin and that he sent Jesus to die, to live a perfect life and then die for our sins as the perfect sacrifice, that is a theology of the cross. And by the way, anything you say about God, even I don't believe in God, makes you a theologian. You're discussing the truth. About God, whether, whether it's true or not, your truth about God. Aaron offered this annual sacrifice in faith that held the people over. Jesus died once and for all, sitting down beside the Father 
when the sacrifice had been made and accepted. And so rather than frantically seeking to be good enough, why not acknowledge before God that you're a sinner and put your trust in Jesus and receive the blessing of life in him forevermore that only comes from above? When you do, you will immediately find yourself in God's family and a member of covenant community, which leads to the last point. Community strengthen, strengthens God's family. Isolation leads to spiritual ruin. Pursue community in Jesus' church. Last week, well, probably 10 days ago now, we got... Wonderful news in our family. My son Michael and his wife Laura have three little girls and they've adopted or they have been fostering uh, two children, uh, Abel and Alyssa, for over two years. It's been a long time. And it's been a very slow process trying to adopt. They were set about a month and a half ago to go down to Wilkesboro, North Wilkesboro from Boone and make this all official where it would just take a few days to go through, but everything would be good. And just as they were getting ready to load up the, in the car and go down to North Wilkesboro, uh, they got the call that it had been postponed for a week, then another week, and, and another one. And little Abel said, I just can't live without adoption. <laughs> How tender is that? Well, when I see him... Tomorrow, in the mountains, as we head up to the mountains, his name will have been changed. It will be Abel Bradshaw Talley. He was adopted into the family. Why do you think he thought, I can't live without adoption? Because this family meant so much to him. He's all the way in now. And we're thrilled. You know, every one of us must come to the point where we believe either this is real or it's not. Whole thing about God and Jesus and sin and forgiveness, it's real or it's not. Obviously, most of us believe it's real. We're here at church. And church is where we find the community that God designed to be the place where we receive and offer strength. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The ultimate blessing for the people of God in Psalm 133 was life forevermore. The immediate blessing was the people dwelling together in unity, re receiving the blessings of God in community. As you probably know by now, because I've said it about ten times, I'm going through Proverbs most months this year. Even the months when I'm off, I find myself right back there. And one verse that causes me to sit up straight every time I read it is Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now you may be thinking, but you're an extrovert. You don't, you don't need to worry about this. You don't isolate yourself. Let me just say to you who are younger, 
An extrovert at my age has a lot of emotional baggage and a lot of scars. That's what I'm dealing with this past week. The temptation to isolate can pop up now and again. I kid with Allison all the time. We're moving to Iowa. Why Iowa? Nobody knows us in Iowa. Nobody's going to Iowa on vacation. You know, we're just going. That's the extreme. But I know better than that. We've talked about it a lot. When the day finally comes when, you know, I hang up the spurs or you say, time for you to hang up the spurs. Uh, this is our family. I mean, we love you guys. We love doing life with you. But that temptation to isolate pops up now and again. And I, I'm usually taken aback when I read this verse wondering, am I seeking to isolate? God designed for his children in this life to live in community. Even though Grace Community Church is not in your specific neighborhood, if this is the place God has placed you, then this is your community. If you were a member, you were, this is your community. If you're moving in that direction, or if you're just thinking about it, but it seems like this is, this is the place God has put you. Not only is a life lived on the edge of community unwise, but it can be downright dangerous. Once again, how real is this? Now look, when, I'm, when I say what I'm about to say, I want you to know that next Sunday we won't be here because we're going to the mountains. Likely be at church in Boone or Banner Elk. But if you give priority to anything on Sunday morning over church, you may be placing yourself and your family in spiritual danger. I recognize there are reasons to miss. I recognize there are reasons to watch online. And look, my experience this week with COVID helps me under, you know, I understand. If you're a little bit reluctant, but don't get comfortable there. Be in community. It's going to be more important as the days go on. You may think things have calmed down a little bit in our land. But folks, we are not heading in a good direction. The church is not heading in a good direction. It's going to be tough. We need each other. One last word. The songs of ascents that we have read today remind us that that the Christian life is a continual pursuit. Ascending the hill to Jerusalem reminded the pilgrims that blessings come from God and answers don't always come immediately. When they didn't feel like going to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, they went anyway. When business or activities got in the way of travel, they put them aside and went anyway. In fact, the Sabbath, really, as much as anything, it's a challenge for us to trust God for our finances as, as it is anything. We can't work seven days a week. We've got to do it in six days. Trust God. 
There were times when the people were unable to go. But whenever the people went, they were almost always glad that they did. So let's close our time together by reading these two psalms of ascents once more. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. This is, by the way, a conscious decision, right? It's not that he has become like a weaned child, but he's made a conscious decision. I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Would you stand for prayer, please? Father, may these two psalms, may the truth of these two psalms wash over us. Give us peace with you. Give us the peace of God. Give us a spirit of contentment. May we practice humility. May we pursue Jesus above all else. May we dwell in unity. Acknowledging that the blessings come from above. While we are to work hard. Lord give us a spirit of trust. Give us a heart that seeks your glory not our own. (laughs) May we be like David but even more so may we be like Jesus. Thank you for, for being faithful to put us in those places even the hard places where we are becoming more and more like him. We exalt and lift him up, and it is in his name that we pray, Jesus our Savior. Amen. Remain standing for the benediction. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.